So welcome to the Love Five podcast. It's Paul Tizard, Fear of Flying Coach. And today's guest is a regular contributor in the Facebook group, Love Fly, uh, called Jamie Fraser. So welcome, Jamie. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. I've, I've seen some of your contributions and I've been intrigued. And I like to get <laughs> real people onto the podcast who've either had a fear or getting past it. And you sound like you've been on quite a journey. So I'm really grateful for you being able to share your story today. So t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, um, I'm uh, about to be 54 next week, uh, so I've I've got a long Happy experience birthday. in this. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, uh, feeling old, yeah, but uh, I've got a long a long history in this uh, in this problem of flying. And um, I'm a family man. I live in North Hertfordshire, just under the Luton flight path, in fact. And um, I have two children of 12 and nine, and I'm desperately keen for them not to follow my path. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with regard to the fear, so. Um, so, so really, that's my that's my personal situation. I'm married to Karen, and you know, otherwise life is good. But the one thing that's always stopped us is my my fear of flying. Yes, and, uh, and really, I mean, the, the the yeah, the story overall can be divided into what I would think of as two chapters, which was before I got help and after I got help. And there's really two very different journeys there to discuss. Excellent. So you said the word always, and so I'm intrigued. How long the the fear of flying you've well, how long you had it, have it. I don't know what terminology is correct for you. And it's also a little bit torturous, isn't it? Living under the flip flight path. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> well, it's it's a funny thing. I actually grew up here. So I've I've always kind of lived right at this in this area, uh, in right. this immediate vicinity, in fact. Uh, so it's not it's not torture in that sense. In fact, it, it kind of feeds into some of the contradictory nature mm-hmm. of my experience, actually. Um, because on one level, I am actually quite an aviation enthusiast, and I've always loved watching the planes coming in. It's just, uh, it's just everything to do with being on them. So uh, yes, there we are. But yes, your, your your earlier your earlier just your earlier point just then was: Have I had this a, a long time? It sounds like a lifelong experience, mm. and um, it's important to start at the beginning, which is that I can clearly remember being two years old. Right, so the summer of nineteen seventy, my wow. parents took took me to Mallorca you see yes. and it always sounds it always sounds like you, you couldn't possibly remember two years old but there are certain things I remember about this trip and the first thing that leaps to mind is that I was terrified of going on the plane as a two-year-old yes. and I thought I thought being high up and was was clearly something that was alien to me so where does that come from? Well, it might be interesting for, for listeners to know that my mother has an extreme fear of flying as well Okay. So I suspect, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't remember her particularly on that occasion, but I wonder if either in the build-up to that flight or on that flight, my mother was very disturbed about it, and I've Mm. somehow learned that behaviour. But certainly from two years old, I didn't like going on that plane. And from then on, of course, the problem, the problem was ingrained and and continued and. We didn't fly for many years after that. In fact, I was I was 10 the next time we flew. I mean, it was quite exciting because my father had been queuing at Gatwick Airport to get tickets for the Laker Airways Skytrain to America. And he'd been sleeping on the floor at Gatwick for two or three days. And then suddenly he burst through our front door and, <laughs> and shouted, right, we're on, but we've got to go today. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, and you see, and me as a 10-year-old just went, oh, God, that's the last thing I want to do. I can't yeah, stand yeah. it. yeah. But we, you know, we went and we had a trip and I was okay. I didn't like the height and whatnot. And but, but mm. obviously I survived that trip. And then really what happened, I mean, it depends how much detail you really want me to go into, but I flew for, I flew periodically at different points beyond that. You know, what, the were, next... you, what were you like? So, you know, so obviously going forward from 10. So yeah. this is relevant, I think, to people because it gives it builds up a picture of what you've managed to overcome, you know, which obviously we'll get to, but it yeah. gives them that real sort of backdrop. So, yeah, how were you on those sort of subsequent flights? Well, okay, well, it is quite interesting actually because I met, I did mention at the beginning that there were some contradictory uh, comments that I would be making, and this is where one of them comes in because 
Six years later, when I was 16 in 1984, my parents sent me on a, I don't know how to describe it really, but I was away living in Borneo for several months over the summer of 1984 on my own, effectively, because my parents had some friends out there and, you know, they'd always said I should go and see them and it would be a great life experience to go mm. and live in the jungle and all so anyway I, 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 took, I was put on a flight at 16 and the build-up to the flight I was very very scared I had a lot of anticipatory anxiety yes um, but what I found once I was on the plane going to Borneo I, I, I kind of settled in I felt quite comfortable and back in those days the the flights the long distance flights had many stops so this particular flight stopped at Muscat and Singapore on its way to Dubai, to Brunei the plane eventually going on to Australia. So I did many sort of takeoffs and landings on the way there. And then we flew around a bit while I was in Borneo. And then to come back from Borneo, we did the same number of takeoffs and landings. So actually that, that summer of 1984, I felt moderately relaxed about flying. So I, yes. I kind of thought that things were going to be okay. Mm. But as I grew into adulthood, I had several experiences. I, I never let flying stop me. I always, I always took the flight, however nervous I was about it. During the trip to Borneo, I did a few flights while I was there. And so you do a lot of takeoffs and landings. And I'd actually got quite used to it. So the contradiction here is that at the age mm. of 16, I felt relatively like I'd, I'd conquered it. But what happened was, as I grew into adulthood um, and into my 20s and things like that, I realized that the, the flying was definitely going to be a problem. I right. didn't like the height. I didn't like the claustrophobia at all. I had previously gone through all of the usual fears about technical failure and pilots and things like that. But really, my interest in, in planes as a ground enthusiast had, had educated me about how they fly. And so that, that was always less of an issue. It was more of the psychological thing of the height and the claustrophobia. But we got to a point, there was one particular journey where everything changed. And this was in uh, 2003 when I was flying to America. And I was flying at the, with my girlfriend at the time and a very good friend of mine. We were going on a little holiday to Florida. And it was a Virgin 747 out of Heathrow to Miami. Okay. Uh, it was a wonderful flight for the first four hours. Mm. And. We were halfway across the Atlantic, and I remember we were sitting by the emergency exit seat, so we had lots of leg room, um, and I stood up just to stretch my legs, and it was the, the, the most bizarre experience to describe to you, because what happened, apropos of nothing and with virtually no warning whatsoever, I entered into a, a huge, almost catastrophic panic attack. I didn't know what was happening. It's the, I mean, people joke about this, but this is the one and only time when I thought I've got to get off the plane. Yes. I, I ran back to the emergency doors where I had been sitting and kind mm. of put my hands either side of them and started thinking, I've got to get out, I've got to get out. Yes. Luckily, I did not. I mean, it was, it was quite funny, really, because even in my, my sort of distressed state, my rational mind was thinking I would rather jump from this plane than stay on it. You know, wow. even though that's the stupidest thing ever. That's what I was feeling. And I couldn't control myself. Actually, I was entering into what appeared to be some sort of fit. Mm. So so I, I had just enough foresight to grab a stewardess and say, I need to get off the plane. Please help me. And what she did, she said, come with me. And she led me up to the dome at the top of the 747. And they okay, laid yeah. me on the floor under a blanket. They gave me a bag to breathe into. Quite comically, a lot of people formed at the bottom of the stairs and started pointing up and sort of looking at me like the top of the stairs. Helpful, yeah. Um, yeah, and I was kind of like, hi, thanks. I'll be here all week, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I had this panic attack. And several of the crew, three or four of the crew came to help. Mm. And... I felt absolutely sickened while it was happening. Not surprised. But it, it was over in a, you know, a reasonably short space of time, probably no more than 10 or 15 minutes, in fact. Yes. And uh, once it was over and I had recovered and had a glass of water and sat up again and all the rest of it, the, bizarrely, the rest of the flight, the next four hours was absolutely perfect. And I could sit there and, and enjoy it quite comfortably. But that is that is quite a contradiction, isn't it? Imagine that the flight attendant's coming back an hour later, going, "Is that the same person?" You know. 
but it, it was like that in fact they did keep coming to check on me but but i had genuinely once i'd had the attack and all the mm. adrenaline was gone and you know i was genuinely relaxed after that point so we, we'd come to that point in my life where i just thought that's it i can't fly anymore i yeah. can't fly yeah. so i i gave up flying in sort of 2003 kind of time and then the kind of the next big step was that um, my my child my daughter was due my 12 year old daughter was going to be due in uh, October 2009 and my wife said to me look before we have children and and you know we're tied into this why don't you go and visit your friends in Los Angeles that you've been talking about for such a long time and go and see them and right. of course I, I didn't want to do that I put it off and I put it off because I, there was no way I was going to get on a plane and I thought to myself, right, the thing is this, if I'm going to have kids, we, I've got to sort this out. I need mm. to sort this out. So in 2009, in advance of taking a flight to Los Angeles, which I, ha I had huge anxiety about because I was convinced I was going to have a panic attack again. Yeah, yeah. I, went to see, um, I went to see a hypnotherapist in London and she gave me, in a two-hour session, she gave me just enough tools to try to get through that flight. yes which which i did the flight actually turned out to be uh, relatively comfortable and i i'd been worrying a lot more than i should have been mm. but where we go from there and this is where chapter two kind of starts is that i then determined that i was going to beat this at all costs whatever it took i was going to beat the fear of flying okay so just pause there that's a good chapter break <laughs> it is. so yeah what made you go for a hypnotherapist of all the different things what was that about it, I don't think the hypnotherapy part of it was deliberate. I think it was just looking for people who could uh, who could help me with a fear of flying. Yes. And all of the things that that entailed. And it, it really, it was just that it coincidence that it turned out that she was a hypnotherapist. Uh, but she'd advertised herself as a, you know, the fear of flying expert. And I, I, I think she'd even written a book on it. I'm not sure. But, um, but anyway. All right. Is she still doing her work? What's her name? Do you remember? I, I really don't remember. I can picture her face now, but I can't, I can't think who, what her name was. She was right. in North London somewhere. All right. And Lane um, Foreman, was it? Oh, yes. Now, there you go. I think it was her. Yes, I think it was Elaine. Now you say that, that's, that rings a bell. Yeah, well, it could be her anyway. I mean, that's it's it's well, give right. her a plug. She does some good work. She's plug. written a few well books. Done, She's done some research. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's getting some credit now, anyway. And the, the thing is, the flight the flight turned out very well. It, there was there was a slightly awkward moment on the way back. The flight out was fine, but on the way back, when we took off from Los Angeles, it was sunset, and I had been sat in the centre block of the of the wide body seven four seven, so I couldn't really see out of the windows, and mm. part of my claustrophobia is the fact that you've got to be able to see so that you can kind of uh, for want of a better word kind of triangulate your position if I can see clouds buildings you know mm. the land I can kind of get a sense of where I am but when you can't see out I become yeah. very agitated so and can I ask happened... you something about that actually yes of course yeah. sorry Jim, I have we, for those you know it is a podcast so it's audio but what I normally do for those who've done the podcast with me we do it over zoom so I can see each other but we haven't got the video today so I'm that's why I keep cutting across Jamie because I'm not we're not reading each other's natural cues so I'm sorry about this <laughs> uh, okay. yeah I'm curious the claustrophobia did that exist in other places as well and also the fear of heights or was it solely on the aircraft no, this is solely to do with planes. I never get claustrophobic in any of the traditional places like lifts or the underground or anything. Do you think like that's that. interesting? I do. Yes, I do. And and as for heights, you know, there are some people who can't go up ladders. I don't mm. have problems with those kind of heights. I have problems with extreme height. Mm. Um, so really, aeroplanes are the the nemesis. They they're the problem for me. And what, what was happening on that, just coming back from Los Angeles, and it, luckily it was only a moment, it didn't last very long, but I was sat in the central block, so it was very difficult to see out of the windows anyway. Yes. But shortly after takeoff, during sunset, suddenly the stewardesses came down the aisle and started slamming down all of the blinds on both sides. Right. So that we couldn't see anything. I was just in the, in the box. And for a few moments, I was just like, oh, crap this isn't going to go well. I've got to get off. This is terrible. Mm. I could feel the panic building very quickly. Yes. But I did a few sort of breathing exercises and managed to calm myself down. And the rest of the flight was fairly uneventful. 
so really what's happened i think it, you know the, the the nutshell is that since 2009 i have become quite obsessive about research so what i do now is i've seen a number of different therapists and right. i've seen a number of different types of therapists and i have read every book i have listened to podcasts i've studied the science of flying I've even considered whether or not I should train for a pilot's license myself in order to mm, interesting off in the right direction. Yeah. And, and really that, you know, what I, what it boils down to is I have gained an awful lot of experience on how to fly, what it means, how you can deal with some of the problems and it has helped. So we're in to- chapter two now firmly by the sound of it. Well, we're we're very firmly in chapter two, Paul, and, and it, I, t- I tell you where I really felt that I had conquered it is that uh, three years ago in 2019, the family were due to fly on some short flights. We were going to yeah. go skiing, and then we yeah. were going to go to Portugal, and just things around Europe, you know. Mm. I was I was really nervous about this before we before we did it. I was convinced that this was not going to go well. Yes. So. I saw, I found a, a just, she wasn't a, fli- a fear of flying specialist, just a kind of a hypnotherapist who could help with, uh, well, the fear of flying, but with things like fear of heights and just general anxiety and nervousness. And I saw this, this lovely lady, she was very helpful. We had several one hour sessions and she did a little bit of hypno and she gave me some hypno tapes. And when it came to the first flight in uh, February, 2019, I could not believe how well it went. I couldn't believe how happy I was, how relaxed, how I wasn't scared of anything that was going on. And as it followed throughout 2019, all three of those return flights to Europe went superbly well. So I began to think, well, actually, maybe this this has helped. I was Mm. sceptical about hypnotherapy to start with, but maybe it has helped because I I did six flights without any issue at all. So, So, okay. So let's, let's give this therapist a plug. You can tell me you don't know her name either. (laughs) Okay. Oh, well, she's, her name's Wendy Henry and she's based in St. Albans. Perfect. Thank you very much. Well done, Wendy (laughs) Henry. There you go. Little plug for you. She's very good. She was a lovely lady and she really had patience with me. So that was lovely. Mm. So, so I did these. I did these flights. They all went well, and the intention was that I would keep flying in 2020 and 2021. But of course, we all know what happened. So yes, I, I remember something. Yeah. <laughs> it was there was a small, some yeah, small what was event that? Um... May, have, <laughs> may have got in the way. <laughs> so we were we were planning to fly, but didn't. And I felt after a year or two of being on the ground again, I began to feel like I might be relapsing. Mm. And I began to think I really need to get in the air because I can feel the fear coming back. You know, I, yeah. I can, you know, it was beginning to get to me. And then my wife said, look, we haven't flown anywhere for two years. How about we do a really big trip this year and we take the children to America? So I said, well, OK, that's going to be fine. Let's do that. So we've booked to go to America uh, in October coming. We're going to fly with Virgin. We're going to Florida. And I began to think, right, I need to do more work on this then because I've got to make sure that I have conquered this before yes. we do a big flight. Yeah. And let me let me just bring you up to the to the to the minute here, Paul, with with how this has worked, because I'd done very well with the hypnotherapist, but I decided that I was going to put myself on a fear of flying course this spring. Okay. Just to make sure that I was good. And the the the, the one I chose was the the British Airways flying with confidence at Heathrow. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it was a very enjoyable day, actually. I would recommend any of these fear of flying courses to uh, to nervous flyers because they made it very welcoming. They were very informative. Yes. And when it came to the flight at the end of the day, two things happened, really. The, the first was that I realised that after, you know, close to 50 years of having this problem and trying to deal with it and doing what I could to help, I found that when I got on the plane, I was probably one of the the easier flyers I, I didn't find that I was that nervous to start with right so so that gave me great confidence because I had been nervous mm. about it but the second thing that happened was that I ended up um, there was a lady sitting next to me a young lady sitting next to me who, who wasn't at all comfortable and I said to her would you like me to just shut up and ignore you or would you like me to talk to you and she yes. said I'd much prefer it if you talk to me 
So I said, okay, I can do that. We introduced ourselves. And I talked to her all the way through the flight about what was happening and how to deal with it. And I helped her with her breathing and all the rest of it. And she basically just held my hand and said, you know, she was so terrified. She said, can I just hold your hand and listen to you? I said, yes, that's absolutely fine. I chatted to her all the way through the flight. And I found that I I, I reached this level of understanding where I thought, do you know what? I think you've got this now. I think Mm. you've got, you're now helping other people with their fear whilst you are not feeling any fear yourself. And really from that moment on, I thought I'm going to do whatever I can actually to to engage with other people and help to support them. And that's when I found you and I I found Lovefly and it has been a superb resource. You know, I listen to it every single night when I go to bed and I... I knew someone was listening. I do. I'm always there for you. It's you. (laughs) It's me. Every night I put it on and... um, and I try to engage with the Facebook page because over my years of training myself and, mm. and having therapy, I have learned so much. I've yeah, learned so many have. tips and yeah. so many, so many little skills and so many uh, bits of knowledge that help with the, with the understanding that, that now I feel I really want to get this fully conquered and to, to help as many people as I can as I go forward, because I now am not scared of flying. You know, I, I used to have this. Just thing where... pause a second there, Jamie, after that story. You can't just say that, drop that one and then move on. Say that again. That is awesome. <laughs> I I am now in the position where I would say I am not scared of flying. Not at all. Wow. It's been an amazing journey. It has taken half a century in one form mm. or another. But I am now in a position where I can book a ticket right now on my computer and not think twice about it. You know what? I wish I had one of those sound effect machines that would do like a crowd roar <laughs> or a whooping noise. Because that's just awesome, isn't it? Just think of that. That's it. So it's for me, listening of, to that, that's a hell of a journey you've done. The sense of freedom that it has given me, the sense of achievement. The Do you know what? I'll, I'll tell you, Paul, the thing that, that has really occurred to me is I am desperately keen to help other people to get into mm. this position because the, the sense of achievement it gives you, the, the outlook, the way you can yeah. look at the rest of your life. You know, I'd thought I wasn't going to be able to take my children to see the world, which had, would, had upset me. Yeah. And now I find that's not true. I can take them to see the world. We can do things. You know, oh, we're, nice. we're planning all sorts of trips now. And I could not have done that just a few years ago before I got help. I mean, I, and I really appreciate it because I've seen the contributions you've been putting into the, the group. And I was thinking... This guy, right, he's uh, <laughs> he's putting lots of sensible suggestions in. And I was thinking, why is he in this group? So I was curious about you because I, I suspected that you you may be a convert. You know, I thought he's he's uh, he's been there. He's he's can, he's got the empathy, but he's he's further on than some other people that are perhaps in this group. And, I, and that was my suspicion. And so I was really pleased that when you were able to to join for the podcast because I think being able to help others particularly from someone who's been nervous, you have massive empathy for where they are. And also every single time you help someone else, you're reinforcing it for yourself. Yes, I am. And, and I think I think that helping others is, is actually a really good way of getting over your own fear because you find yourself explaining things. And when you explain things out loud, mm. it somehow sets, resets the, the neural pathway in your own brain. Correct. So, so actually, I can genuinely tell people now that, that flying is nothing to be scared of, and I mean it, you know, and I know that I mean yeah, it, which yeah. I've never, never had happen to me before, you see. Um, oh, I love fact, that. It's very, just it's, stop, it's, stop rushing ahead. But these are good oh, moments. You just, you just need to pause and go, kind of go, wow, did I just say that? I mean, <laughs> that's what you're doing. You're helping people. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And, and uh, I love hearing stories like that, and, and that's a hell of a, a journey along the way. Yes. There's and, loads and, of questions. There's loads of questions in my head I want to ask you now. Well, 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 I mean, fire away. I'm happy to answer them. I mean, one, one point I would make as well that, that I've experienced, and that is, and, and this is amazing, really, is that having gone from being absolutely terrified, I couldn't even book a ticket. I was really scared throughout my, my childhood and my 20s and even into my 30s. I was really scared of flying. Mm. And I would avoid it. I, you know, there were many, many years when I wouldn't fly at all. And yet now I have reached a stage, and particularly in 2019, where I would say there are some flights that I enjoy so much 
I would even describe them as, as euphoric. You know, I described to my, my hypnotherapist, I said, look, the, the flights I've done this, this year, I have been absolutely thrilled with. I've really enjoyed them. And that's something I would never have thought I could do. Yeah, that's, that is phenomenal. Ooh. <laughs> so let's just rewind a bit then. So there was a, so you mentioned there's a whole, there's a lots of things that you looked into. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm guessing that you tried out some other types of therapy as well, which may have led to you doing the hypnotherapy again. It might have been the mm-hmm. same, might have been different. You've yeah. obviously done some research into places. So that being, so those, that part of the journey I want to know about. So let's put a marker in that one. And I also want to know what the turning point was, because from chapter one to chapter two, what what suddenly fueled that determination? So those are my two big questions for now. Okay. Well, the, the, the first question is that um, in terms of therapists, I, I, I really did see a wide range of people, some, some of whom weren't particularly helpful or good value, some of whom were very good. I managed to take away something probably from, from just about all of them. What sort so of disciplines example, did you approach? Oh, well, I did, no, sorry. I, well, I did, again, not necessarily through planning, actually, but I ended up doing hypnotherapy and a little bit of CBT and relaxation techniques. Right. And uh, reframing, you know, trying to trying mm-hmm. to think of a situation where you were in a, a better position than it felt like, you know. Yeah. And I, I tried a lot of those kind of things. There was there was one particular chap in London um, who gave me a very good tip about fear of heights. Um, and I had put this on the Facebook page at some point. He said, he said, if you're scared of heights, imagine that you have enormously long legs. Oh, yes, I remember that one. <laughs> it was that one. He said, so if you're at the top of the shard, which is a you know a tall building in London. So if I was at the top of the shard, I would probably be terrified, but he said, try it whilst imagining that you have enormously long legs that connect with the ground and that you're walking around on the ground rather than, you know, 70 floors up or whatever. And do you know what? That seems to have worked because I've been in a couple of tall buildings and I've been on a cable car and I imagined I was striding along the ground and I felt completely at home. I felt completely comfortable. Isn't it was that very- amazing? No, you, can do, you can trick your brain in a good way like that. Yeah, it, 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 there are all sorts of tips I can give people about how to understand things or to make them so that you don't feel so frightened. And, and actually, partly as a result of that, but, but partly something I'd worked out for myself before, many years before, is that if you're on an aeroplane and you're scared of the height, mm. um, and, I, and I still use this to, you know, to this day, I just imagine that it is connected to the ground in some way, like on an enormous pole or on a monorail or something like that. And that the plane is actually physically connected to the ground. And I suddenly find that I really don't care how high it is at that point. Mm. It's uh, entirely psychological, but if you, if you can hold that kind of thought, I think you, you know, you'll find it a lot more easy. Mm. To, to Interesting. What about the claustrophobia side? What do you do with your head for that? The claustrophobia is is difficult, really, because I would say that if I was going to be scared of anything, that is still the last remaining uh, element that I'm nervous about. But I find actually with breathing techniques and with learning learning how not to be scared of the other elements of flying. So once you understand the technical side and the pilots and, the, and the, how science works, and all the rest of it, that the claustrophobia is less important to me. Right. And, and since that big attack back in 2003 I've only had very mild claustrophobia so I I mean I'm still looking for the golden bullet on how to cure that completely but I've got techniques around that that means that I can I can help with it and in fact one one technique I I use is I have an elastic band around my wrist and if the claustrophobia feels like it's building up I twang the elastic band really hard and it dissipates the sense of fear yes um, so there, but the uh, just the your earlier question was about was also about what was the turning point in the therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, big again, moment, the big moment. Yeah, like chapter yeah. one into chapter two. Oh yes, well, well, the big moment that really helped the most came with the therapist I saw in twenty nineteen because she did something that frankly I was skeptical about. She said we're going to do this thing called regression therapy, right. and we're going to go back to when you were two years old. And we're going to go back to a time when you imagined 
hearing your mother on the phone talking about how she was scared of the flight to Mallorca and she didn't want to do it. Mm. So I was like, oh, come on, this isn't going to work. This is ridiculous. It's all mumbo jumbo, you know. <laughs> uh, and she said, no, no, give it, a, give it a chance, give it a try. So I let her do this and we did this regression therapy. And she took me all the way back through. She, she did it stage by stage through my adult life, through my childhood life. And we ended up back at two years old. And she had me create an image of our family lounge at home with my mother on the phone saying to a friend of hers, oh, I'm terrified of this. I don't want to go. I'll do anything yeah, not yeah. to fly, you know. And do you know what? I, I, Paul, I can't explain to you what happened. It was like this moment of enlightenment. I felt there was a huge shift like of, of weight from the middle of my chest, this tension that I had about it mm. the whole time. And we did this regression therapy and I came out of it feeling like I had let something go, like I had reset wow. in some way. Wow. So that's that was really the main turning point recently that got me to say, mm. I like flying. I can mm. fly again. It doesn't bother me. And it's good. You know, it's a good yeah. thing to do. Let's see, that's awesome. So let's rewind a little bit without trying to okay. emulate regression therapy. When you did, yeah. When you decided... I'm going to do put all this effort into beating it now, doing all the research. What what was the trigger for that? It was because um, I was doing a trip to Los Angeles to see some friends out there, and I was so petrified of spending nine hours or ten hours on a plane, even though I had done it at various points in my life. I mean, I'd even been to America many times, but but I kind of thought I don't, I can't bear to get on that plane. I literally yeah, can't, so this can't is, do it. This is why I was asking because it's this isn't a, this isn't the only time you've done that. So that's why I was wondering. So you would have been nervous on like the other occasions, and yes. But there's something that I'm trying to work out because people would be thinking, what what was the sort of the thing that turned the key or made you sort of lock into, you know, why think, that trip? Um, why then? <laughs> Yes, I, I, well, the only answer I can think of is that the previous flight to that had been the one with the grand panic attack halfway across the Atlantic, which was in 2003. So I, I was more scared, not, not so much scared of mm. flying, but scared of the, of having the fear and scared of having another panic attack. Ah, because, there we go. I, there it is. Because I thought if it was anything like what I went through before, then firstly, I'm not going to like it. And secondly, I'm going to make a fool of myself on that plane. Okay, um, just that's it. Let me just pause there. So let's put that is the thing you see. So, so what I was listening for was because generally I think when people I've just written did a blog about this today actually about the motivation thing that and it's been confirmed by interviewing all these professors the last couple of weeks I've been doing is that this this motivation it comes down to that basic human thing that we something greater than us. So it could be uh, you know faith religion but our children it could be something else that we go towards and think we want this thing this amazing thing or something really painful that we don't want to experience again so we want to avoid it so that's that basic human thing and that where you've just described that sounds like you had a bit of both you know you've got this terrible experience from the, that, that massive panic attack before that you didn't want to relive plus you want to experience something different going forward i think so that's what it sounds like happened there you know absolutely i think I'd, I'd got to a time in my life you know i was about to be a father for the first time and i i looked at all the fear i'd had from all the the years before mm. that and the decades before that really and i just said this is stupid you have got to do this and if you're going to do it you've got to do it now before you have children so brilliant. get on with it brilliant and i made a conscious decision to really push myself and to to conquer it and and really since 2009 the last what's that 13 years now um i've been saying to myself i'm not going to rest until i know that i can fly and do it properly so really helpful positive self-talk there that's that you're dr driving yourself oh that's amazing so what about the recent you said the sciencey stuff that you looked into and the, the physics and where yeah. did you go for all of that? Because there's a lot, there's some good stuff out there. There's also some rubbish. I'm interested yes. where you've got yours from. Well, well, mine, mine comes from a, a very wide variety of sources over a long period of time. Because, I mean, I mean, really, if you want the full story on it, like I said earlier, we actually live under the flight path going into Luton. Mm. Now, 
paradoxically because i'm scared of flying i have always loved watching planes coming into land right so i don't mind that at all and as a child i would stand in the garden in fact my, in fact, my, my mother would my mother could tell you about this i would stand in the garden and watch the planes go overhead to such a degree i was so mesmerized by them that i didn't turn round to follow as they flew i would just watch them going over my head until i fell over backwards because I, I that is I so cute so as a, as a sort of Dangerous, a, child, but, a really know, small child i'd be standing in the garden and the plane would go over and it wouldn't occur to me to turn around and watch it i would just watch it until i fell over so I just um, imagine your parents running around with mattresses all the time oh, he's off <laughs> he's off again quick quick another plane's coming um and so the thing is i started thinking even even as a small child i was thinking well how does that stay up there then? Yeah. you know it's too heavy it must fall down and and, and, and really, I started um, from quite a young age, I started trying to understand flight. But really, it was it was much later when I was trying to solve my problems that I thought, well, I'm going to get some technical books about this. And there was so there were some books about planes, per se, and there were some books about science. And I just thought, learn everything you can about wings, about aerodynamics, about, you know, how you fly and um uh, and in fact, I'll, actually, I'll just let me just interject with another story of my own, actually, is that I was in the army for a while in my 20s mm. and we had to do a paragliding course um, in Scotland. Now, this, of course, terrified me as well. The last thing I wanted to do was get off the ground attached to a parachute. Mm. But <laughs> do you know what? The funniest thing I learned was that when you inflate the chute on the ground, because paragliding, basically, it's not parachuting, it's paragliding is where you run off a cliff and just yes. hope you stay up there you see so it takes yes. a, an incredible amount of courage to do it I think mm. but I, I took the courage I did it I ran off this cliff and having the parachute inflated when you try to run against the wind with the parachute inflated it is rock solid you cannot move that chute through the wind it is so solid like a piece of concrete stuck there in the sky mm. and having jumped off that cliff and seen the parachute just take me I thought to myself then that was a really good learning experience because yes. that made me trust aerofoils like nothing before. Yeah. You know, I, once that parachute had taken me off the cliff face in Scotland, I just thought, this is incredible. I know that no matter what I do to that parachute, mm. it is not coming down. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good image actually, because it, when you look at a parachute, it's just like a big, Oh, like a big hand cupping some air, isn't it? And yes, it doesn't look yes. like anything. It's like it's magically being held up by magic. Yes, <laughs> or you concrete, see, as you call it. Well, well it is, but it, uh, you know, I because my my feeling then in my twenties, I thought, well, if I jump off a cliff, even if I'm attached to a parachute, I'm going to fall. This isn't going to work, you know. But once you try to inflate it from the ground and hold it up in the wind, you realise that there is nothing in the world that is going to stop that parachute from staying up. Mm. Nothing. So I began to trust in wings and science and yeah. learning about airflow. And I even read a book about air law, you know, how you how you control yourself in the air when you meet somebody else. I, I did all sorts of studying just out of interest and and even and I'm not I'm not even I'm not saying I'm going to recommend this as a as a route for everybody, but even yes. looking into those very occasional air crashes and finding out what happened yes. interested me because it gives you a very good understanding of how the technical side works. So somewhat perversely, on on the rare occasion when something has gone wrong, if you learn about what happens and why it won't won't go wrong again, you start to see just how safe this industry is. Right. And pause there. Then, that is yes. that's the basis of human factors training. Exactly what you just very eloquently described there. It happens very rarely when it does. It's fully investigated. Let's make sure it doesn't happen again. And that, that's yes. it in a nutshell. Yes. And actually, I know this maybe sounds a bit perverse as well, and it won't work for everybody. But when you do learn about those things and you see how things move forward, that actually builds my confidence and gives me even more belief in the system. Because, yeah. you know, honestly, I've I've learned things from pilots I've spoken to. You know, I've got a friend who's who owns his own plane and I talk to him about things. And and actually, 
you know, really, I don't think you can fault anything about the technical side of flying. Not, not at all. Not the science, not the way the industry deals with it. I think it is all pretty much as good as it will ever be now. Wow. That's interesting. Because I normally say to people, don't watch those programmes unless you're in a place where you can be curious. Because if you're watching them for some reassurance and you're not fully along with your fears then they will just make them worse because you'll end up visualizing stuff and then it's hard to get it out of your head. But you're a good example of where someone has investigated it from a position of knowledge. What can I learn from this that will help me? And that's a different place. And that's, that's not dissimilar to what I would do. If I looked at an air accident, I wouldn't, it wouldn't, I don't say I don't want to read about everything that's happened. It's not, you know, ideal reading, but it wouldn't stay with me longer than just, right what's learned from it but not everyone can do that so that's a really interesting one yeah i mean i I completely agree with you there paul i mean i wouldn't recommend that people look at stuff which is uncomfortable but sometimes for some people who are further along in their journey i find it can give you a actually a sense of confidence really Mm. you know and uh uh, i mean actually just um, just while it's on my mind actually talking about science and one of the things i've learned this, I found this to be a very, very helpful tip for me. And I'd, I'd love to pass this on because you know how many people have the fear of turbulence as one of their key hates in the yes, flying. Yes, absolutely, yeah. That's, that's a common one, isn't it? I, I read a brilliant, a brilliant book once that said, had a great tip about turbulence. They said that the human being passes out at something like, you know, three or four Gs of force. Sorry, so you you would lose if you weren't in a flight suit, you would lose consciousness at something mm. like three or four Gs of force. But the aeroplanes are tested to something like eleven or twelve Gs when they're bending their wings in the in the workshop and all that kind of thing. So the tip is this: they said, get a post-it note, stick it on the seat in front of you, and write, "If you can read this, the plane is okay." <laughs> Because you will pass out long before the plane does. So if you're not passed out, the plane is fine. <laughs> and I thought, well, you see, there's science at work. There's there's something yeah. about G or something I can learn. And you can put that into perspective. Mm. Think, yeah, hang on a minute. We're completely safe. This is fine. You know. What a great tip. I imagine that mm. one uh, with the uh, the cup of water trick. Yes. The combo. Oh, that's brilliant. And and the age old jelly trick as well, you know, stick a stick a toy aeroplane in a in a bowl of jelly, set the jelly, and then shake the jelly as much as you like. The plane isn't going to move. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's I have I've heard that one. I've never used it because I I don't know where it came from. So I've always liked to give credit where I can. Where I've heard a little technique come up, and yeah. maybe you can if you can think of those books that you read that or anything you'd recommend. That'd be quite useful because yeah. people will be listening, thinking, "Oh, I might want to look at that." And if you can remember any of them, well, I'll tell you what i've I've got I've got quite a large collection, but right here on my desk, as we speak, is a very useful, very small kind of pocketbook. It's um, it's only small, and it's one hundred and twenty eight pages long, and it's called "No More Fear of Flying" by Alan Carr. Ah, yes. Very good I think book. it's quite famous, but each page is really only a paragraph or two mm. of advice and help and instructions, and they're in very bite-sized chunks. So I think if anybody wanted to take a little book on a plane that would help them, then then possibly No More Fear of Flying by Alan Carr seems to, seems yeah. to be a good one. It's a good one, that is, because I agree with you, and it's very... And what I like about his approach was it was very no-nonsense... So it's just kind of very sort of pragmatic and this is the way it is. You know, <laughs> there's no sort of, it's not fluffy and, you know, it's none of that. It's just, just telling it like it is, but in a really helpful way. Yes. Yes. I find that very useful. And I also think, I mean, I would, I would advise any listeners to read anything they can and to keep rereading it, to let mm. it sink in. Like when I listen to your podcast, I listen sometimes to the same episodes over and over and over again. Really? Because I want to suck out every bit of information into my subconscious because I find that helps a great deal when it comes to navigating an airport and getting on a plane, you know? Well, there has been a spike in the listing ratings. That's obviously you. So, <laughs> so thanks for that. 
Yeah, that's right. It's it's not twenty thousand listeners. It's me listening. It's you. 20... Yes. <laughs> so, because you said earlier on, you listen every night, which is very heartening to hear. Stroke scary uh, to think that you you know you must be sick of my voice. And I try to talk as little as I can, as you probably noticed. Are there any particular episodes that you think have been the most helpful? Uh, yes, I like I like well, forty four for the relaxation is is a classic now. I think a lot of people go for that one, and the whole book on sixty nine is pretty good. But what I like most, I like to hear from the pilots. Mm. So when you've got Steve uh, Steve Bull on, uh, or any any of the pilots and crews, I find them incredibly comforting because although I don't have any fears about pilots whatsoever now, and I completely trust those guys on every level, you know, the fact is to hear their voice very calmly, very measuredly saying, well, we'd just do this, wouldn't we? And we'd just do that. And it's all part of our daily life. You sort of think, yeah, these guys, I'm, I'm, I would happily put my life in their hands every single time, you know? And I think that's, that's the thing, isn't it? We, you can't really see the pilots now with those sort of Kevlar doors. You can't get to them anymore. You can't talk to them very easily. So they're sort of removed from us. And this is a chance for you to sort of to, to interact with them in a way, to hear them talking about their work in a very sort of normal way. I, I normally say to people, don't talk to pilots about fear of flying. And not because they're not great people. It's because they a lot of them don't get it or they won't have the empathy for it, because in their mind, if you ask the wrong pilot, you might feel a bit foolish, because they if you said, oh, I'm really scared of turbulence, they go, turbulence? Why are you scared of that? <laughs> Which is not helpful. It's not because they are laughing at you. It's because in their mind, because they are so not bothered by it, and when they encounter turbulence, they're not thinking, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen to us? They're thinking, oh, no, I'm going to have to put my coffee away now. That's, yes, you know that, that's what they're thinking. So it's, it's like a non-event. So that's why when I get the pilot, the only pilots you'll ever hear on the podcast are ones that I know uh, are great pilots. Well, they all are, but it's the empathy that I want. I want the ones that can kind of get it, and they and they're not going to just scoff because that's why I say to people, don't talk. Because sometimes I say I talk to a friend of mine who knows a pilot, and like, oh, and then I dread the, the whatever's coming next. And he was really helpful. I think you know or there's so somebody i work with and she's just become a pilot and, she, and she's really and she I, she's really trustworthy and I, I sort of breathe a sigh of really think oh good these are good role models you know but the few and not few and far between because they're i would talk that i trust any pilot that passes the commercial pilot's license and flies in the governed air spaces that we all would be familiar with all around the world but it yes. is just about that when it comes to that one-to-one thing you just got to be careful who you say it to Yes, definitely, and and uh, and incidentally, I think yeah, you've just reminded me one of one of the the things I like with pilots. One of the things I think is useful is if you can get onto Facebook videos and go into the plane enthusiast sites where they have mm. cockpit films, films of pilots actually flying the planes, and you can just see how professional, how calm, how easy it comes to them. And I think that can be a great confidence builder as well to actually see a pilot at work is. You know, yeah. it, it, it fills me with confidence anyway. So Yeah. Did you see that programme they did on Captain Emma? They were following some pilots. She was working at EasyJet at the time. And uh, she ended up also, she was working on the, the EasyJet Fear of Flying course. Right. She's she's done an interview on this podcast. And she's often very regularly in the group answering questions as well. But I don't know if you saw that because a lot of people have commented on that. I don't know if you caught that one. No, I've, I've seen her on the group and I've listened to her podcast with you, but I've not seen the TV programme on that oh, one. I shall look out for that. Yeah, it's worth it. It was, a, I think, one of these um, airport TV type things, you know, one of those jobs. But she she came across really well in it and uh, she's great. But, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased that the pilot I, – I think the pilot part is very helpful for people because you just hear them, how normal they are and the fact that they're talking about – I'm not going to put my own life in jeopardy. There's a team of us, but, but nobody does anything without consulting the others. You know, it's it's just so highly, highly skilled. And um, it's just it's just mind blowing, really. When you think about that level of capacity and uh, safety that's going on there. Phenomenal. Yes, absolutely. 
Wow, Jamie, we've done we've done very well. We've been going quite a while now. I, I, so I'm I'm mindful of the the sweet spot when it comes to podcasts. No, I was got okay. I got a bit of a stick the other day because uh, Joe Simo came on, right? And he did podcast with me, and I've got a few people said. I could have listened to that for two hours. And I was like, yeah, I said, but I've got to respect the guests. You know, they might want to eat or use the toilet at some point, you know. And I think there is a point where you have to say that there's been, I mean, your t- the tips and everything you've said have been br- brilliant and, re- and the whole story massively helpful. So I'm going to push you for the thing, you know, I always ask every guest yeah, at the end, which is what? Which is what one tip? We yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Do listen to them. That was a little test. Yeah, go on then. What's your tip? What's your what's your big tip? Well, uh, do you know what? Can I can I give you two which are sure. related? In some what you like. Because I'm just going to be cheeky and take more than I'm offered. Go for it. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say actually, although this may seem to some people with a fear of flying, I would say fly as much as you can because I think if you let's imagine you had a job where you had to fly every single week. Mm. Sooner or later, you're going to get over that. You're going to be so bored by doing it that you're going to realise how mundane and everyday it is. So I would firstly say fly as much as you possibly can. Okay. Um, and secondly, for me, you know, the bit that worked for me was getting professional help. Yeah. doesn't work for everybody and not all professionals will give you the keys that you need to succeed. But mm. I haven't given up. I've tried everyone I can think of until I found the answer. And that, for me, completely changed everything. Getting professional help made it just, God, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how good it has been since then. Now, oh, that's amazing. Jamie Fraser, that's fantastic. And on that note, uh, just to say, when you're going towards these professionals, the thing is to ask them, what, what sort, how do they approach things? You're not asking for a guaranteed success, but just like how many sessions do you imagine, just to see what they say, but also trust your gut instinct because you're having to trust somebody and lower your guard a little bit and go with that. Go with that. And if you don't feel comfortable, then they're probably not the right one for you. And that's fine. You know, so I think you've got to just keep going until you find the one that fits you. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Paul, thank you so much for having me on. It's no, thank you. Pleasure. Jamie thank Fraser, you. what do you like? like ton, tons of tips, great stories. <laughs> Love that. That's brilliant. Thank you so okay. much. I'm very grateful. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you.